Today we begin our new series, Pop Goes the Bible. We have been spending the entire year doing one thing and one thing only. We have been listening for the voice of God through prayer and through Scripture. And so I hope that you have been inspired uh, so far this year. I hope that you have heard the voice of God more clearly this year. I hope that as we uh, head into the fall and into the winter and the close of another God-given year, uh, that you will continue and that we will continue as a church to hear clearly the voice of God. We begin this series today, Pop Goes the Bible, and here's what we're going to do for six weeks. We're going to look at how pop culture uses the Bible, or how the Bible intersects with pop culture. And so today we will begin in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to read for you verses 1 and 2, although we will be in the entire book or the entire chapter of 11 and into the first couple verses of chapter 12. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Let me say that again. Come on. That's really, there's a lot there. Okay. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. If you go ahead and do a Google search this afternoon on the top 10 grossing films of all Time, you will see a theme in those movies. And the theme is this. Seven out of the ten of the top grossing films in American history of all time, seven out of ten have superheroes. Alright? They have heroes that are super. Whether it's that they have the force the superpower, or whether they can fly faster than a speeding bullet, right? And hop over buildings in a single leap. There are two Star Wars movies in the top ten. There are two Avengers movies in the top ten. By the way, I was researching this sermon last night, watching Avengers Infinity War, um, which I found to be quite confusing, to be honest with you. Uh, anyway, it, lots of blowing up. That was awesome, and I fell asleep. So, um, two Avengers movies. Black Panther, The Incredibles, which in The Incredibles 2 is about to come out in movie form this fall, and I'm really excited about that. And then The Dark Knight, Batman uh, movie, The Dark Knight. So seven out of the ten top grossing films in American history all have a hero, all have a superhero. Whether it's Luke Skywalker or Rey, whether it's Captain America or Thor or Iron Man or Batman uh, or The Incredibles, a whole family of superheroes. Our culture, our popular culture, is obsessed with superheroes. Our culture is obsessed 
with superheroes. Every time you turn around lately, there's a new superhero movie coming out. In April of 1938, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster released a comic book. And does anyone know what that comic book was? Come on. Superman, that's right. Superman issue one came out in April of 1938. And if you have a copy of that, you're doing quite well in life. (laughs) And as we know, the story of Superman was a man who could stop bullets. He could fly. He could leap small buildings, tall buildings in a single bound, right? He was the ultimate superhero. And he was the hero that dealt with evil and with tragedy in the world. Very interesting understory of the Superman story is that many folks have sort of wondered out loud, why did Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster create Superman. Uh, and, and in print and in, in um, interviews, they talked uh, about how you know, they needed uh, just uh, someone who would fight the forces of evil. But, but under that story is the story of Jerry Siegel and his family. And his um, father, I believe, who was murdered by a robber who broke into his home when he was younger. And so there's been lots of rumors, lots of people sort of postulating that maybe this came out of something in Jerry Siegel's own life, that from the depths of his soul, um, because his father was murdered by a robber, that maybe he created a man of steel who could stop bullets. See, I think part of why we are obsessed with superheroes is because we know that we need a hero. We live in a world filled with tragedy, and one of the hardest things for us to deal with is tragedy. How do we deal with tragic things that happen in life? How do we deal when evil seems to win? How do we deal when things don't go the way they're supposed to go? Because of that, even if we don't believe in God, even if we don't believe in something beyond ourselves, we want to believe deep inside in superheroes. We want to believe that there's someone that can protect us. We want to believe that there's someone that can stop bullets, that can change the course of evil, that can save us from the day. And so I think we need heroes. I think we need heroes. You got any favorite heroes? Anybody? Give me, come on, give me some heroes. Who do you got? Favorite heroes? I could have named them already. Anybody? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Come on. Ching. You know, I got a Spider-Man quote coming up just for you, all right? All right? Spider-Man. He's good. Anybody else? Wonder Woman. There you go. I mean, she was, come on. She was the real deal. What else? Who else? Batman. What else? Okay, I heard another one. Somebody said another one. What's that, what's that girl from Brave? That girl, she's awesome. She shoots the bow and arrow. Oh, man, she's, she's amazing. So we love, we love superheroes. What do you got, Brad? Brad? Taco Man? Oh, Aquaman. 
Different, totally different thing. It's Aquaman, Aquaman. Aquaman, Aquaman. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. I'm with you, Brad. I know. I'm just playing with you, Brad. That reminds me of Captain Underpants. My son asked me about Captain Underpants this morning. I'm like, I don't, well, come on, buddy. We're not talking about Captain Underpants this morning. <laughs> cool thing about heroes is that the Bible's also filled with them. The Bible's filled with heroes, filled with superheroes. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we get a list of superheroes. The Bible is filled with these unexpected superheroes, these people who step to the forefront and their story is written in this book and they rise as a hero of the day. And in this chapter, uh, chapter 11, there is a list of of, of, of heroes of faith. And this is what they were commended for. They were commended for faith or a confidence in what they hoped for and an assurance of what they did not see. That's what they were commended for. We get Abel, who brought a better offering than Cain. We get Enoch, this mysterious character in the Old Testament we don't know much about, but that walked with God and suddenly he was gone. Like, poof, he's gone. And he's listed in here. We've got Noah. We're going to talk about Noah in a couple weeks when we look at the movie uh, uh, Evan Almighty, right? Um, We've got Abraham and Sarah. We've got Isaac and Jacob and Moses. We've got Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Got a whole list of heroes of faith. And I want to look at just three of them this morning. A few heroes of faith for us this morning. Number one, I want to take a look at Abraham to see what we can learn. Now it says this in verse in, in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So Abraham, let me give you this story, if you don't know it. So Abraham, old guy. He's uh, almost 100 years old, and he has no heir, no inher- nobody to pass the inheritance to. He's probably looked at in his community as one who is actually uh, cursed by God, not blessed by God. So him and his wife, Sarai, are, are hanging out, and, and they don't know what's going to happen for them. And one night, God calls him outside, and he says, Hey, Abraham, look at the stars in the sky. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as them. Hey, Abraham, consider the sand on the beach. I'm going na- to make your descendants as numerous as the sand on the beach. And, and Abraham kind of goes, well, God, you know, I don't have a kid. So that's going to be reasonably hard to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. It's going to be a little bit hard for you to bless all people through me if I don't have, I don't have any heir to the throne. God says, no, no, you need, to, you need to trust in me in this moment. And Abraham actually doesn't trust in him. And, and he actually goes and, and has a baby with a, a surrogate mother of that day, right? And they create a baby Ishmael, um, who kind of wrecks a bunch of havoc even to this day. All right? It's really interesting, right? I, I won't go further. That's a whole other thing. But anyway. Um, later, God shows up and says to him, listen. Um, your, your wife's going to have a baby. 
In your old age, your wife's going to have a baby. I'm going to make good on this promise. You will have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. In, and in the tent is his wife, Sarai. And she hears this and she laughs. Huh, that's funny. Nine months later, what's really funny... <laughs> What's really funny, twist of the story, plot line twist, right? Is that she has a child in her old age. She has Isaac. God says, now take this family and I want you to go to a land that I have given to you. I want you to go off to a faraway land, which doesn't seem like a a weird thing to us. Um, We live in a transient culture, right? I often say this, a lot of people in Big Sky are one big opportunity from not being here tomorrow, right? I mean, the reality is, if, if you get asked the question, where are you from this week? Most of you don't say, well, I'm, you, some of you say, I'm from Big Sky, but you're not from Big Sky, right? Nobody's from Big Sky. <laughs> Couple, who, who's from Big Sky? Actually, like, born in Big Sky, medical clinic. Who got born in the medical clinic? <laughs> Anybody? Nobody. We, have we had a birth there yet? We've had one birth there, Dr. Mitchell. Okay. So we've got one person who can say, I'm actually from Big Sky. They're not currently here right now, right? <laughs> and we live in a transient culture. And so th- th- that sounds really normal to us. Okay, God says, hey, go move your family to this new opportunity. No, 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 no. You don't understand what's happening here. Abraham... Abraham, in that time and in that place and in that culture, you stayed with your family, you stayed with your trade, you stayed with your people, and everything else was crazy because you didn't know what was out there. You didn't have internet. You couldn't go research how was that town down the street and how were their schools. You couldn't, you couldn't research that. If you left your home, you left all the security, all the safety, everything that you had that would make you prosper. And when God says, I'm going to make you prosper, Abraham, and then he says, leave, that's the last thing you would expect. It's the absolute last thing you would expect. And so this great hero of faith, he believes in what he cannot see. He trusts. He has this deep confidence that we call faith. And he says, I will go where you ask me to go. And as the story goes from the lineage of Abraham all the way down, we find our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. And if Abraham had said, no, no, God, I, I don't want to do that. I don't have faith in you. The story, the story goes in a different direction. But by faith, Abraham was a hero. Abraham stepped into a moment that was quite frankly uh, radical in that day and age this radical step this controversial step I'm sure he had plenty of people saying what are you doing why would you make a decision like that and because of that in the face of all that adversity he is called a hero of faith number two Moses verse 27 By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now Moses is this man who is wandering around in the desert one day and God shows up in a bush that is burning but not really burning. Then it's a little confusing. And suddenly a voice comes out of the bush, which is even more confusing. And says, take off your sandals, you are on holy ground. And God and and Moses have a face-to-face conversation. And he says to Moses, listen, 
I want you to go to Pharaoh because you're adopted into the royal family and so you can get an, you, you can, you can get an audience with him. And I want you to say to Pharaoh that they need to let God's people go. That God's people need to go out of slavery into a land that I am promising them. Once again, there's this, there's this theme in this story. Go to where I am asking you to go. Even though you don't know where I'm asking you to go, I want you to go to where I'm asking you to go. And Moses' response is, not me, God. Right? If you know the story, he says, I'm, I ain't so... The words are bad. Words are, are hard. That's basically what he says. This is my translation. Words is hard. That's what he says, right? Words is hard for me, God. And he says, no, 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 I'm going to send Aaron with you, and he's going to be your, be your mouthpiece. He's going to speak for you. But I want you to go to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses' reaction is the same reaction you and I would have if we were getting in front of the most powerful person in the world and saying, I would like to take all of your workers, and I would like to transplant them somewhere else so that you have no more workers. Right? I mean, I mean, here's what Moses is thinking of when God says this. I'm going to get killed. Right? He's thinking, Mo, uh, Pharaoh's going to kill me. Or he's, worse, he's going to just enslave me for the rest of my life. This isn't going to end up well for me. When I say, let my people go, and then uh, God tells me to use my staff, and then there's some plagues involved. Like, he's not going to be real happy with me at that moment, right? And yet, by faith, Moses goes into a dangerous situation. He goes in front of the Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. Right? And Moses says no time and time and time again. And after all of this, finally, Pharaoh relents and says, you may take the people. And it says this, by faith he left Egypt. Because once again, he didn't know where he was going. Turns out he was going to wander around in the desert for 40 years. I'm not even sure he would have signed up for that if he'd have known in advance. 40 years in the desert before we get the promised land and you don't actually get to go into it, right? That was how the deal worked for Moses, right? If you know the story. That's, that, that's kind of a, a raw deal for, for, for Moses. But by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Have you ever had a moment? Have you ever had a moment when something stood in front of you that seemed gigantic? It seemed in great opposition of you. It seemed like everything it wanted to do was to break you and harm you and enslave you. Moses did too. And by faith he left and was considered a hero. Number three, Rahab. This is my favorite one. By faith, the, we'll call her, we have some young kids in here? No, they mostly left. Well, we have, right there. Woman of the night, we'll call her that, okay? (laughs) Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were obedient. That's verse 31 in Hebrews 11. By faith, the woman of the night, Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were obedient. So post-Moses, there's this leader named Joshua who takes over as they're about to head into the promised land. And in the promised land, uh, it's wonderful. right? There is, there is sustenance, there is whatever, there is water, there's what they need, um, but there's also enemies there. And so they're going to have to go into this land by force. 
And so Joshua says, hey, I'm going to send out some spies. They're going to, they're going to check out this town called Jericho. Right? Maybe you were in church camp and you learned, Josh fought the battle of Jericho. Anybody? Okay. No? All right. Fair enough. Right? Um, that was flannel graph. And if you don't know what that is, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so, so the spies get to this big town of Jericho, this, this um, very important city in the area. And it's, it's a well-manned city. It's a place you, you're not going to mess with, with big walls and a large army and great defenses. It's a place where they just shouldn't go, quite frankly. And, and Joshua sends these spies there. And the spies meet up with this gal named Rahab, who has sort of a shady little business going on, right? And she invites them in, and they go up to her rooftop, and they're scouting around, and they're looking at the area, and they're looking at the stronghold, and they're wondering, can we take this place? How's this going to work out? And as they're there in the house, knock, 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 soldiers from the town show up. And they say, hey, we heard that maybe there's some spies in your house, and they're checking out, they're kind of casing the joint, okay? Um, Are they here? And she says, no, they're not here. She hides them up. Uh, upstairs um, on the rooftop. And by faith, Rahab welcomed the spies. It was not killed with those who were obedient. Rahab, the, the most unexpected hero of all, right? This woman who lived a totally shady life who said, you know what? I'm going to trust in this God instead of everything else going on. I'm going to trust in this God who I can't even see more than I trust in the walls that are around me. The walls that have been protecting me for all my life. The walls where I can run this shady business. I'm going to trust this God. I'm going to put my faith in these spies who are spying out the land. I know that these guys are coming to take over this land and somehow this is going to work out for me. I mean, it's craziness. It's radical faith. Can a woman who has this kind of business... Believe that God is going to save her? Yes! Listen, if you think you're too far from God, you're not too far from God. His arm is not too short. Can I say that? His arm is not too short. A lot of prayer requests this morning were about those who are lost. And we just need to keep praying and praying and praying. Because His arm is not too short. There is nothing that can separate you from God. There's no sin too great. There's no shady past. There's no occupation. There's, no, there's nothing that can separate you from God. In fact, Rahab, the woman of the night, is listed as a hero of faith because she had faith, confidence in what she hoped for, and assurance about what she could not see. Abraham, Moses, and Rahab. I'd continue, I'd I'd encourage you to continue to look at that list in your own studies. And I could go on and on, and and, in this passage, it, it wants to go on and on. In fact, let's go to verse 30, 32. And what more can I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon or Barak, Samson or Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, 
through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain it even more in resurrection. Some faced jeering and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the desert and in the mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Whether it's Abraham, Moses, Rahab, Enoch, whether it's David or the disciples. Here's what this passage is saying. You have a daunting responsibility. And this is your responsibility. You are called to be a hero. You are called to be a hero. I don't think you thought that that's what you were going to hear this morning when you came to church. You thought you were going to hear Jesus loves you. Well, he does. That's awesome. But he wants you to be a hero. He wants you to be a hero. Spider-Man quote for you. Okay? I got you. Spider-Man's sitting there, I think with his aunt. This is his aunt. You can correct me on this. You know the quote already, right? And she says... With great responsibility, with, with great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. And the question is, will you do something extraordinary with your life? See, see, some of you will get these incredible chances to be a hero. Um, some of you will go to far off places. Uh, we got this team going to Uganda, and I think that's extraordinary. They're going to go over there and love on these kids. I think as a church, we have an opportunity to lean into something extraordinary or with that ministry. We'll, we'll lean into that more as we get into the upcoming uh, year. Um, we have moments where we can lean into extraordinary uh, times where God calls us to places God calls us to move, to take new jobs, to make big, big changes in our life. God calls us into extraordinary moments of heroism. But I think, I think he, he calls us more to be heroes in the normal. I think he calls us to be heroes in the normal. See, I think he calls you to be heroes in your friendships. There are a lot of crummy friendships in this world. Right? I got, I don't know, a thousand friends on Facebook or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know, to be honest with you. Can I tell you a secret? They're not all my friends. Okay? They're not. Um, uh, we, we live in this really strange world where we have these surface-level connections. And I think we're called to be heroes in our friendships. 
I think we're called to be heroes who invite people into our homes and cook a great meal and drink some great wine and share great stories. Man, we got to, we got to go out for a dinner um, not too long ago at the Michelson's house. I saw you somewhere. And um, I'm embarrassed you love that. I didn't tell you. But you know what? If you invite me over, you're, it's fair. Okay? <laughs> they invite us over to their beautiful house. And we just got to sit down for dinner. And, and Mike leans in at the beginning of the dinner. And he just kind of takes the lead. And he says, hey, listen, I want to I hear about your spiritual journey. And I went home that night just full. So thank you, Mike. I went, I went, thank you, Melissa. I went home full. And the food was great, too. Right? But I went home full in my heart. Because we could have talked about the weather. We could have talked about the, the status of Big Sky. There, there's a million things we could have talked about, right? But instead, we talked about these deep things in our soul. These moments when Jesus called to us and we responded. And we're called to those kind of friendships. We're called to be a hero in the normal. Mike was a hero in the normal that night. He, he didn't have to be. How many dinners have you had where you've been like, let's just talk about like the weather again, right? <laughs> be a hero in the normal. Be a hero in your friendships. Be a hero in your business. See it as God's business. Got a lot of business owners here. See those people that work for you as people that you can love and serve and be a hero of, right? What do heroes do? They live for others, right? They put, by definition, this is what heroes do. They put their lives on the line for other people. Superman doesn't ever need to put his life on the line for anybody who's as strong as him, right? He needs to put his life on the line for people who are weaker than him. It costs him everything. He gets no benefit out of that. They're like, yay, Superman. They can't really add much value to Superman's life. We need to be heroes in our businesses. Right? We need to, we need to see our businesses as, as a place to do ministry. As a place to love and serve and empower people. We need to be heroes in our parenting. In our parenting, Andy Stanley, I think, said this. Um, for, for some of us, uh, the best thing we're going to give to contribute to this world. i got to get this quote right. The best thing we're going to contribute to this world is not something we do. It's someone that we're raising. D- did you hear me, parents? We as parents need to be heroes. We need to set, I'm going to preach to me for a minute, set down your phone so that he doesn't have to ask, dad, 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 but I respond on the first time. I need to be hero in that. You need to be hero in that. We need to be less distracted. The number one thing that our kids are feeling right now is that they got too much going on. Parents, stop doing so much. You don't have to. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to run this rat race. You don't have to keep up with your neighbor in Big Sky. It doesn't, it, it, it's a horrible way to go anyway, right? That's a horrible way to go. Your kids don't need another activity. They need you. They need you to love them, to read to them. Man, my son, there was three kids at the library. Maybe you saw this, that got their parents read a thousand books to them. 
right? Which means Lori read a thousand books. <laughs> no, I, I, read, I read to him every once in a while. But, um, but there were three kids, and I had a conversation with somebody later, and, and, and they said to me, yeah, but can you imagine how many parents haven't read a thousand books to their kids? And I was like, oh, ouch. That's, that, ah. I think that makes me feel good, but kind of bad about other things, right? Your parents, parents, let's be heroes in our homes. Let's set good boundaries. Let's discipline. Let's set them on a pathway, a pathway to love Jesus and succeed in life. Um, in our marriages, let's be heroes. In our marriages, let's be heroes. Most of the divorces that I deal with have one thing in common. One or both of the spouses thinks they're not getting enough out of the relationship. Most. When Paul says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, it means... Husbands, you need to think of your wives first. At your own risk, at your own sacrifice, at your own death. That's what Jesus did for the church. And if marriage is a picture of Jesus and the church, then that is how we should be husbands. Right? Let's be heroes in our marriages. Let's think of each other first before we think of ourselves. Let's be heroes in how we spend our time, our treasure, our talent. We got heroes in the basement right now. We got heroes in base camp right now, right? They're spending some time with your kids, so it's like really nice in here. It's like a little mini vacation for some of you, right? (laughs) They're heroes. Your time, your treasure, your talent. I want to go further because we are called to be heroes uh, not just for one day. We're called to be heroes for the long haul. He says this, let us run with perseverance. Marin Dunn, I'm going to pick on you too. The rut was yesterday. How was it? (laughs) Be honest. Uh, It was amazing. Amazing. It was intense. Yep. Beautiful. Yes. Uh, Inspiring. Amazing. Was it hard? At any point, did you think this is hard? Yes. yes. Okay, good. That, I was hoping you were going to use that word, so I had to prod that you on that one. Because you just you didn't fall for it like I thought you would. Okay. Are there people up there right now running even long? Yes. How far, how far are they running today? They're running 50K. 50K. They're right, on that ridge, right? they're right on that ridge right there. They're Some of them. I ran plus another 10, 15 miles. 50K. I don't even, that's Canadian, right? I don't know <laughs> how many miles. How many miles that is. <laughs> Um, it, in the rut today and yesterday, I'm sure there were moments when you wanted to give up. When you go, I just want to stop. I just want to be done. Can somebody get a gurney and take me down the mountain? Right? Like, please, I'm done. And the writer of Hebrews says, let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Listen, you, you don't get a participation trophy at the end of this all. Sorry. Millennials, <laughs> right? Um, I'm one of them, so I can pick on them. Uh, we don't get participation trophies. We get a prize when we've run the race, when we've crossed the line. 
And if I can be really vulnerable for you for a moment, uh, man, I don't, I don't want to run the race some days. I'll tell you right now, pastors are the ones who don't want to be Christian more than anybody else some days, okay? Um, I'm tired sometimes of answering random questions about Jesus. I'm like, oh man, really? Like, I know that that pastor messed you up, but like, I didn't mess you up. So can we just like move on? Um, I'm tired of people treating me like I'm an idiot because I believe this stuff, even though I'm pretty sure I've read way more books than they have, right? Um, I'm tired of saying I'm sorry when I'm wrong. I'm, I'm tired of thinking about others before I think of myself. If I can be really honest with you, there's been lots of moments in my career. Um, and don't worry, I'm, this isn't like my parting sermon or something. But... Um, <laughs> But there's, there's just moments where I, I just, frankly, just don't want to do it anymore. I just don't want to do it anymore. It's too hard. It's a lot of work. I get tired. And I can't, I can't Clark Kent it. This is where the Superman analogy changes a little bit. I, can't, I don't have a Superman thing under here. It's just a white t-shirt. right? Like I don't, and I can't just take, especially in Big Sky, I can't take this off. Right? Do you know what the best thing about the pastor's retreat in Irvine, California was? Nobody knew me. That was the best part of it. Right? And, and, and there, even there, I, I ran into somebody that I knew. And I'm like, oh! Right? Because I can't take it off, and neither can you. If you wear the name of Jesus, you wear it every single day. Just like the runners had a number on them yesterday, they were running that race with that number that identified who they were. You run with Jesus on your chest. And the question is, will you run with perseverance the race that is put before you to the end? Every day, even when it hurts, even when it requires your entire life. And you'd say, boy, that's a big ask, Brian. And I would say, yes, it is, because here's how to be a hero. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How? Ah, By this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. See, nobody in this list was the pioneer and perfecter of faith. They just had faith. But there is one who is the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, and his name is Jesus. And I want the worship team to come lead us in one last new song called Reckless Love. See, maybe this sounds daunting to you. How can I be a hero? Even though this sermon sounded like it was all about you, it wasn't. Surprise ending, right? Like lots of superhero movies. Surprise ending. There's a twist plot here. Because all you have to do to be a hero is fix your eyes on Jesus. 
to Jesus. He took off the cloak of glory to come be with us. No other God does that. Maybe Superman does that, right? He comes from Krypton down here. No God leaves heaven perfection to be with us broken, dirty, messed up people. But our God does. He puts on flesh. He leans into the human experience. He knows what it's like to lose loved ones. He knows what it's like to experience pain. He knows what it's like to have relational heartache. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows everything that you know about the human experience. He put on humanity. And then, as only the super superhero could, With a life of no sin, he put himself on a cross. He allowed himself to be hung on a cross by sinful people so that he may pay the price to die so that we may rise. This is what we live for, church. And, And this is the grand mystery of resurrection. And this is the grand mystery of superheroes. See, everyone else just mirrors Jesus. Everyone else just mirrors Jesus. He died three days later. He rose from the grave, not like Thor and Ragnarok. Don't get that wrong, okay? He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And as we covered a couple weeks ago, interceding, praying for you right now. So church, be a hero this week by fixing your eyes on the author and perfecter of faith, the reckless one, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be those who would live heroic lives, that we would be those who put our own life on the line as you did for us while we were Still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. It's hard for us to imagine, God, and we admit that part of what we want to do when we hear sermons like this is we want to go out and and change the world and be a hero on our own, but God, we, we just need to focus on you. We need to see you clearly, and we need faith. We need so much faith, God. So give us faith in our families. Give us faith in our marriages. Give us faith in our friendships and our businesses. Give us faith in whatever chapter or season of life that we are. Give us faith because you, God, you're the perfecter of faith. And it's in you we pray. Amen. Please stand to sing.